Like you said, my name is Josh Holstein. I have a beautiful wife named Bethany who's sitting back there. And we have five boys, all ranging from 12 to 4. So it is a crazy, crazy house. And you guys will get to hear at least one story this morning about how crazy it can get. Um, but I am excited to be here. But before we get started, let me pray for us before we start. Father, you are truly more than we could even dream up ourselves. If we had to invent a way to you, it would be one of despair, one of making ourselves out to be the hero but we understand that you save us. God, we ask this morning that as we hear from your word, that you will speak. And then it will not be me. And I pray that people would hear this word this morning and encourage them. Take them forward in their walk and open eyes this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as I said, I'm excited to be here. And as I begin, you guys can start by turning to Haggai. Um, don't worry. My introduction is a little bit long enough to let you get there and look at the table of contents because I know we don't turn there on purpose. So, but I'm excited. I think the Lord, if you'll stick with me, has a word for us this morning. Um, I would guess in a group of this size that most of us have probably moved houses before. I'm the youth pastor, so I definitely want, if you've moved your house before, I want hands raised, little engagement, okay. And probably in a group this size, you guys moved houses even as a kid. I remember the first house that I ever lived in as far as I can remember, and I think we lived in it from about three years old to 12 years old. And it was 404 East 18th Street, Owasso, Oklahoma, 74055. <laughs> hey, there we go. Love it. Go Rams. All right. But it's weird that I remember that. And it's weird that I would know the exact address, the exact zip code. But this house, to me, I remember it to be amazing. Like, huge, enormous. I can think back to the, when I look back, I think the backyard seems to be as big as an open field with like 40 acres. I think it may have been like 200 square feet. I remember our front, like our room in the front, the living room, I felt like it was as big as like a movie theater or something of that nature. I can remember the basketball court that I called a basketball court, our driveway, where I practiced to be as good as Michael Jordan, had to be as big enough to hold the United Center where the Chicago Bulls played, and one day I'd know exactly how to get my way around everybody. The room that I lived in, I really did feel like it could hold like a Sky Zone or a Chuck E. Cheese, as well as the hallway where I got to play Nerf guns with my dad had to be as big as a paintball field. Had to be, right? Well, my memory of this house deceives me. As I drive by it now, 
it seems very insignificant. It seems very small. And it's done in gray, bland, like bland gray brick. There's not much to it. I looked up the dimensions on Zillow this morning or this week, and it was just 1,000 square feet, which was great for us, and it worked perfect, but my memory kind of failed me. I don't even think you could get the United Center in that. What is interesting about what we're going to look at this morning in Haggai is Haggai is bringing a word to the people who have just traveled back to Jerusalem after 55 years of being taken away from that place. They have been sent back by King Cyrus, who said, hey, go and rebuild this place. Go and rebuild your houses. Go and rebuild the temple on my checkbook. This pagan king has said, go and rebuild. What's interesting is that it doesn't really measure up to what they remember. Some of the people have been in captivity for 55 years, so they know what it used to look like. But it doesn't measure up. Not only does it not measure up, but God says they're unable to build it to the glory that he would desire. They cannot trust in their hands for the work. They can't trust in their hearts. It's imperative that they know and that you know and that I know what we can trust in. Sent back from King Cyrus, the people start to work on their houses, and Haggai sends a word about priorities that the Lord of hosts has, the Lord Almighty. If you're able, please stand and hear this word from Haggai chapter 1, verse 7 through 14. Thus, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast in all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. I am with you. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Shetil governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the one of power, their God. This is the word of God, and it will never fail you. You may be seated. 
You see, here the people were more concerned about their own house rather than building the house of the Lord where he said he would dwell. They're forgetting the God that they serve. They need to listen to Haggai when he is saying what his name is, let go and realize their own inability and trust in his solution. This is what I'm hoping, praying that the Lord shows you this morning. His name, there are my inability and his solution. That way we can find out and truly know what we can trust in. First, let's see his name. The name that Haggai is called to use in this book is used about 300 times in the Old Testament. It's this name, the Lord of hosts, but it's not even used until the ninth book of the Old Testament. In this second shortest book found in the first 39 books of the Bible, in 38 verses, this name is used 14 times. I think we got to pay attention to what he's saying. This version of his name can be used in a couple of different ways, but always has one of power. The common theme of its use is when it speaks of how God fights for his own, his remnant, his people, how he moves on behalf of those he loves. First time we see this term used is in 1 Samuel. And a woman named Hannah, who is unable to bear a child, she prays in the temple, O Lord of hosts, Lord Almighty, God of power, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. The Lord of hosts, or the Lord Almighty, says yes, and he creates life within her. The prophet Samuel is born. God uses this, this situation to fight for his people. One who had no hope of being a mother without the Lord of hosts or the Lord Almighty using his divine power to intervene and bless her on her behalf. He had to come. He had to help her. This Lord of hosts who fights for his people, all Hannah wanted was a son. And he gave her a son who would not only just be a son, but would be a son who anoints a king from the line of Judah, where our Savior comes from, and would be a great prophet. This is why we can say this type of name that he uses, Lord of hosts, Lord Almighty, says no matter how discouraged you feel, no matter how little evidence you see of his power, no matter how off course life appears or how unlikely a fulfillment of his promise seems to be, no matter how dark your night or empty your soul, he can be trusted because his name is one that makes all situations better and greater than we could ever imagine. The Israelites, someone or you or probably me, 
might say, well, that is easy to say, much harder in regular everyday life to believe. You see, these people, when they go back to their hometown, Jerusalem, all they see is ruins. It's a mess. And your life is hard. It was probably hard over on the drive this morning, if we're honest with ourselves. And I'm a mess. I can speak for myself. How in the world is the Lord of hosts going to fix that? Crazy thing is, after that, he starts spending time telling them what the temple is going to look like one day, and it's going to be this great thing. But Haggai says something about their inability to get it there. Look at verse 10 through 14 of chapter 2. You still have your Bibles open or listen. It says, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. And here comes the devastating word. These people are working hard. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this, these people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. <laughs> Haggai basically tells them, you're unable to get it there. You guys are working hard. You're getting this rubble. You're getting some rocks. And you're starting to build something. It doesn't look like much. It's still unclean. Let me see if this will help um, explain. Say there's a sink or a faucet in your kitchen, and it's your job to clean it on Saturday. Um, that's kind of what your chore is, and you do a really good job. I mean, there's no rust stains. It's perfect. It looks better than a floor model would look. You not, go with me, you not only cleaned it of 99.9% .9 of germs, but you got 100. Like, you're that OCD and that good. And you sit back in a chair or your couch, and you start admiring, oh, look at what I did. This is so good. Now, five minutes later, your spouse, your friend, maybe your child, comes in with dirty, muddy hands and arms and makes a beeline for that sink or faucet. Did I mention it was Sloppy Joe night last night? So you really did a good job. 
but they make a beeline for that faucet, and let's just say for a second that you don't tackle them or you don't yell, get out of here. But instead, you just sit in disbelief going, they're going to ruin that. Let me ask what happens. With muddy hands and muddy arms, if they touch something clean, is it going to make that thing clean or dirty? It's obviously going to become dirty again. It's going to have to be cleansed again. It's going to have to be changed, and you're going to have to wipe it down again after cleaning it out from Sloppy Joe night. Like, that was a lot of work. The faucet is instantly dirty along with their hands. Both are messy, both are unsanitary, and full of muck. And this is their problem that Haggai talks about. And this is our problem, right? Even with the people's best efforts, they could not build the temple of God to the glory that it deserved. They were working with muddy hands, muddy hearts, and muddy intentions. We talked about that in confession this morning. Their inability to make anything holy and perfect was on full display. And we have those moments in our life. We come up with solutions we think will make everything better, but we end up making a mess of the whole thing. I promised you a story as a failing parent, and here it goes. We have in our house a backyard that has fences on each side and one on the back side. And there's this little area back there that they call like their secret hideout. It's like covered with trees and they can go back there. And we really can't see what they do other than probably just dig holes and whatever. And we're just like, that's your area. Five boys are like, that's your area. Please stay there. Don't ruin anything else. But one afternoon as I'm, you know, taking a deserved nap, they start coming up to the window um, with the back door and are like, look what we found. They have like these little figurines, you know, like gnomes and like turtles that you would have in your backyard and gardens. And I was like, where in the heck are they getting these things? I, I don't have those in my backyard. And they're like, we dug them up and we found them. I'm like, did you find like a time capsule or something? And I'm like, I don't know where you guys are getting this. There's no way that was in the bottom of like below the dirt. Come to find out, what happened is they kicked out three boards of the next-door neighbor's fence and climbed through. And we're going and grabbing things out of the next-door neighbor's fence and bringing it back to our house. Well, my inability was on full display when I brought them in and said, all right, guys, here's the time you would do in jail for destruction of property, and here's the time you would do in jail for theft. Um, I'm going to have to go call the police. And I go to the other room, acting like I'm calling the police. That's so stupid. I come back, and they are all five in tears, thinking that they're going to go to jail. One of them is underneath the play table, scared to death that the cops are going to show up at any point. 
And one of them goes, do I get to room with my brother? Whew. Inability on display. I looked at Bethany and I said, I don't know how to get out of this one. We, we do this all the time, right? We, we, we come up with ways that we think are going to fix it, and we're like, I'm going to make a good example here, help them learn. It'll be great. Maybe I should do it differently next time in hindsight. But I'm working with muddy hands and muddy hearts. I'm working with my own inability, and so are you. It's often on full display and sometimes too much for our own comfort. Knowing that there is a Lord of hosts and a Lord Almighty, one of power who fights for his people in spite of their inability, Haggai says this in 2.19 about his solution. He says, but from this day on, I will bless you you're working with muddy hands, muddy hearts. Regardless of what you do, it's not going to look like it's supposed to, but I'm going to bless you. He says this right after. They're going to make the temple be the actual state of 404 East 18th Street versus what it actually looks like, or I thought it looked like in my head. It's not going to be that impressive. He speaks of it not being possible that their hands have that power. How is he able to say that the Lord can bless them and this is his solution? I want you to consider really quick what happens in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, where it reads, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, that being Jesus. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This nasty, dirty, unclean, out of society's inner circle leper comes to God and says, if you will, can, you can make me clean. Why would he say that? In any normal circumstance, a leper touching somebody or somebody touching a leper would instantly make the other person unclean. And as we learn with the faucet, just because something's clean, something that touches the unclean doesn't mean they both become clean, right? We know that about ourselves. Yet Jesus touched the leper as he reached out. And the clean, holy, and perfect Christ touches something and makes what is unclean clean. That's his solution. It says, that in the, it says in the Gospels that people would touch the fringe of his cloak and instantly be made clean. We hear about the woman being healed from bleeding for, after years of unsuccessful medical remedies. The lame made to walk again and Lazarus told to walk out of the tomb. 
do you think his name can be trusted? Do you think their inability, your inability, my inability can be overcome? Do you believe that his solution is better and greater than you could ever invent or come up with? God's goal was never about building a better earthly temple. It would always be tainted by dirty human hands anyway. His plan has always been about something bigger and better than even double the size of the temple that these people accomplish. And that can only be accomplished through his solution. He is after something eternal. He is after the cleansing of people's hearts. And only he can do that. What we can trust in is his name and his solution because it covers our inability, our uncleanliness. What we can trust in is the fact that his son came to prepare a way through his sacrifice. What we can trust in is that the assurance that he will see it to the end. What we can trust in is that the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, who has all power in his name, was not held by death and grave, and neither shall we be. That's why the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, speaks into every situation. He's the Lord that heals cancer. He's the Lord that walks through it with a family when the cancer isn't healed. He's the Lord Almighty that comforts us when people fail us. And he's the Lord Almighty that sits with us in our depression. He's the Lord Almighty that whispers, I love you when you feel all alone. He is the Lord Almighty that breathes life into dead bones that Ezekiel prophesied about. And he is the Lord Almighty, I want you to hear this. He's the Lord Almighty that calls you son and calls you daughter. What can we trust in? What we can trust in is him. Are you trusting in him today? What we can trust in is him. Are you trusting in him today? Let me pray for us. Father, it is evident that we have gone astray and each gone to our own way. But it is also true and evident that you provided the way. The Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the one of power is here in our midst and saves those who are working with unclean hands and unclean hearts. Will we trust that when it seems evident? And we trust that when it seems not so evident in our lives. You are greater than anything we could invent or come up with. What we can trust in is you. Will we do that today? Praise your name. Amen.